0: This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota,
1: I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer.
2: And I'm Don Eubanks, Associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Banner Indians. We pause here and say that Lee couldn't join
0: us today. She's... <laughs> got a whole lot of things going on and we want to send our our condolences to her as well for the loss of of one of their fam you know their 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 household family members their longtime their their longtime pup lily um uh you know transitioned to the next world <laughs> and um for those who own pets and have, have have those lifelong companions and things like that this can be a really difficult time so we just send our our positivity and condolences to her as they now move into basking in the memories of
2: that well, Anthony, I'm Anthony. I, I'm sorry, and not just not you know, not just a member of the household. Lily, her two her two dogs were like their surrogate children. So, because you know, because Haley talked about her her kids on on the program all the time. So this was a huge loss for Haley. and 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 I think you know those of us because we've had we've had two of our pets who have passed, and that. That's, it's tremendous because that, that leaves a big gap in your family. So yeah, our hearts do go out for Haley and Jim. So, so,
0: so we want to keep, 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 keep them uplifted in our hearts. So today we have a topic that, again, it's going to take a little bit of nuanced unpacking. And it's also one that can be a little bit uncomfortable in particular for, um, for, for folks who, who, spend as much time as we have over time trying to get along and work in white spaces and with white colleagues. And it is the the issue of extraction, the extraction of work of bipoc folks, their culture, their their expertise, their experiences, um, in ways that don't necessarily compensate you or that leave you drained at the end of the interaction. So so y'all, I want to throw this out to you because I have experienced this in many different ways over time, you know, um, and we've talked about various levels of of coaptation of, of our culture and things like that from other places, but I began to look back at the history of extraction and, and the first thing that comes to mind immediately is music. Um, we've all seen the movies, we've seen the biopics, you know, uh, the little Richard biopic is one of my favorite examples of this. Where he, here's Little Richard creating this music and then all of a sudden you have uh, Pat Boone and other artists recreating that music, not paying any royalties to it, not paying any compensation to it, not even doing it in the right cultural way. So much so that Little Richard has to speed up his songs and make them so, so black <laughs> that they cannot be recreated To the point where even the folks listening to the Pat Boone versions start to notice that something is different about this and kind of has to work to steal his audience back. Meanwhile, there are thousands and thousands of dollars that he has never paid for his own content and work. And that's just one example. But I've seen it. You know you know, in many other ways, as well, and we've also seen it professionally. I know so when you think about that extraction that happens from communities of color, their brain power, their resources their their ingenuity, you know one, what has that experience been like for you, and two, where have you seen
2: it? Well, you know i'll jump in and and um and you know, I think I may have shared you know a portion of this story cuz you know me I tell stories. And so this is personal experience um where it was uh one of the it was the last time I was in uh as commissioner of health and human services for the Mille Lacs band where I'm enrolled and I was uh, working when marge Anderson was last tribal chair. So this would have been 2009 to 2012 in that time period somewhere around in there. And but another friend of mine, a, a, a prominent black woman who who does a lot of work in the community around around, you know, social justice, racial justice, coaching, those type of things. Well, she was she was on the board for an organization. Um, and I won't I won't name, but they were they were heavily involved with tobacco sensation. And so it was through her that I was introduced to this organization. Now, the organization did fantastic work, and so I met the the individual who was running the organization. I knew some of the workers because the ban and other tribes, as well as other entities throughout Minnesota, received grant dollars in order to help people stop smoking right so it was a very worthwhile cause but um I was the 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 executive director reached out to me and asked me if I wouldn't mind. And, you know, he phrased it about, you know, talking about important aspects of the American Indian community, da-da-da-da. You know, and so, of course, as an official, as an official for the Malax Ban, I found myself often with these type of requests. And so I I told him yes. Well, you know, it was a two-hour drive. I came down. And I thought I was meeting with him. I walk into a room. There's about five or six other people there. Two of them were hired consultants that they brought in and then three or four other program directors that belong to this organization. And for about an hour, they sat there and they pumped me with all these questions and above five, 10 minutes into it, I realized that I'm supplying this information to their consultants who they had hired to turn around to come help them expand their grant dollars in Indian country. And it pissed me off because they were extra, not only my time, right? So it's that, it's that, uh, that balance that we often feel, depending on what position you have. So I was in a position where, you know, it's not state government, it's tribal government. So we almost feel an obligation to kind of do this. But the way they went about it made me feel horrible. You know, know, how often do we see other counterparts that, that they pay? For that kind of, for, I mean, so, you know, and then, so after, uh, so for me, I'm just, that's just one example. And, uh, Lou's, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that in everything that you've done, you've got to have an example.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, before I share that, Don, what, what's so brazen about your example is the audacity to have those paid consultants sitting in the same space you are looking you in the eye, knowing that they're getting paid and you're not getting paid. I mean, that's just brazen, right? And it's also, uh, not only is it brazen, but it's also an insult to your intelligence that you wouldn't figure that out. That somehow you couldn't connect the dots and two plus two equals four. uh, And for you, zero plus zero equals zero, right? You're not getting paid for it. Uh, So that strikes me as uh, just really adding insult to injury. Um, and I'm sorry that, that you had gone through that. Um, yeah, absolutely, I, I have plenty of examples to share um, and I won't go into all of them, but I will say one common thread is, is being invited to speak somewhere and the, the, the thought of being compensated never gets raised, right? So I've done a lot of public speaking in my career. Uh, I've taught a lot. I've taught uh, continuing legal education, which are um, required courses for attorneys to maintain their licensure in this state. Um, and a similar requirement exists across the country. Uh, so I, I've done a lot of continuing legal education courses. I've done a lot of teaching of judges, Uh, I've done generally uh, speaking in terms of DEI instruction for entities, corporations, private, public, so on and so forth. So all in all, easily over 100, 150, without a doubt. And I can document most of them. And I remember early on in my career being asked to speak and never being offered a fee. And I thought, well, if I'm not being offered a fee, that must be the same for everyone else, only to find out sometime in my career that that was not the case and that my counterparts who at that time uh, happened to be white counterparts, also attorneys, were getting paid. And I said, well, wait a minute, how did that happen? Uh, and then started to challenge that. And I'll tell you after, after learning that, I began being very um, consistent about asking for a fee. And I remember with clarity being told the first couple of times, well, wait a minute, it's an honor to be asked. I said, I understand it is an honor for for me to be asked, but understand reciprocally, it's an honor for you to have me. So (laughs) don't devalue, there's a reason why you're calling me, right? (laughs) Don't devalue my worth based on what your interpretation is. This is not a unilateral type of transaction here. So I quickly uh, let them know that I clearly have something of value to offer. Otherwise, they wouldn't be extending the offer to me. Um, and then thereafter, incorporating that into my um, my schedule, because it, <laughs> I, t- I, I tend to overprepare for things, uh, because that's <laughs> the nature of, of my personality. So I don't take things lightly. I, I don't do things half-step. Uh, and when I commit, I commit 110%. I, I don't, uh, I don't sell anyone short, including myself. So, in state government now that I've been in this position for upwards of two years, uh, that has come to a halt primarily because I, I can't be compensated outside of my job for that. And the nature of my my role here is is demanding such that it doesn't leave much room for speaking. If I'm going to speak, I, I generally have done it within state government uh, within our office uh, and then externally within other state entities. And then I'm faculty for the National Association of Attorney Generals. uh, So I'm I'm teaching there as well. But beyond that, you know, um, I do want to pose this question out to our listeners on both sides of the equation. What is it about our dominant society in thinking and inviting BIPOC folks to the table, whether it's being a keynote or facilitating or a meeting such as what you described on, what is it about their mindset that doesn't even factor in the equation of getting paid? And I want folks to sit with that discomfort and and dig deep as to why is that occurring And have you participated in that? Have you engaged in that behavior? Then the second question is, for our BIPOC listeners, is also wrestle with what is your agency at this point in your life that when you are being invited to something, that you start to give this some thought. And I know that when I coach folks, mentees in particular, mentees of mine, is the first question I get in return is, well, I don't know what to charge. And, And so they... Often enough, our our mentees, our our BIPOC members get stuck with that, and and my response has been, well, let's pick up the phone and find out what other folks are charging and what the market rate, quote unquote, anecdotally is, it should should be something greater than the sum of zero. It should should be not limited to a free, um, no cost fee type of uh, arrangement. And we have to start doing that more consistently so that we can change the mindset of folks to, to assume that our time is theirs to keep and theirs to have at no cost to themselves.
0: You know, I I think about that. I, I, I often encountered on that very point that you just raised, Luz, um, you know, folks who will say, um, for 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 a long time, who would say, well, um, he doesn't have the credentials or the degrees that, or you know, he's not a, a doctor who's written a book or something like that, and so therefore the rate, market wise, for folks who do what I do, and some who would who would absolutely cosign the rate that I charge, right? These are folks who may have those degrees and stuff like that, and they're going that rate sound, they're the ones telling me that's the reasonable rate for what the expertise that you have to offer. But then when I go to certain places, well, well, my years of community experience in con- in, con- in conjunction with my degrees or or the projects that I'm available of don't seem to hold the same weight as somebody who has a quote-unquote traditional dominant cultural list of credential. And then they would try to use that to try to justify um, not paying me or, or they would pay me but not at the level that that is there. I've experienced that firsthand. I've experienced being turned away, saying, "Oh, he's too expensive." Who does he think he is, right? Only for those folks to turn around and be told by whoever it was that they got, "Well, how come you didn't ask Anthony? <laughs> he's the one that he, you should have had here." In fact, um, I was the one picking their brain for the for the thing that was that the the presentation that was just given, right? And 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 then folks to 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 hear that in community, um, we don't we don't we don't value we don't put that in. The other piece to that though is this expectation that you touched on um I think you you Don you you touched on it as well as as loose this expectation for us to perform for you to to give of our experience because that's the altruistic thing to do as if there's no toll when I talk about extraction, there's a the financial extraction, but then there's also the energy extraction that comes along with it. How many times have I been supposed to be a part of a conversation and instead the whole room that's predominantly white looks to me and all of a sudden I end up doing a whole lot of speaking, a whole lot of, of participation, uncompensated or even appreciated for the for the amount that's there for the benefit of the white folks around the table. My experience, my stories, my my, um, you know, perspective. And then that gets sailed. And then they create whole directions and strategic visioning around that. <laughs> and then they go on about their business and I get a handshake. Like I, I'm, I don't go along with the legend of Bagger Vance, magic Negro mentality that says, I'm going to spend all this time turning you into a professional golfer and walk away by my little $5 on the beach at the end of it and feel good about myself. Right. That, 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 that mentality is also in the mix here as we talk about extraction.
2: You know, I, you know, Anthony, I was I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about what Lou's just just talked about, and so I was thinking about my own evolution in this area, right? And you know, so so to be honest, it, for for many, or for myself personally. And I don't know, you know, maybe others can relate to this, but myself personally, it was an evolution. It, it, it was, be, you know, because I have to admit a lot of what I've done, a lot of the work, a lot of my experience, I was driven. I'm a product of the fifties and the sixties. I was driven by this, this desire. And I always knew I was going to work in my community. Be it black or Native American around civil rights, around social justice, which is what's kind of driven me my entire life, my entire career. But also value wise, right? That there's this, you know, especially on my Native American side and also on my black side, there's this, there's this value of, 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 of being part of community. And and wanting to do that. And so I have to admit that even for myself, when I'm in community, I'm in community and I never would think about charging, right? Or being compensated for that type of thing. And so, but it becomes an evolution because then you start, then you're, you know, you start then you start being asked, like you, Anthony, like you lose. And it depends on your position, because I also worked for the state and had to speak all over the place. But that's the expectation when you're in a state office and you represent the the citizens of Minnesota. So I didn't have a problem with that. But it's those other engagements where you are being engaged as an expert from with your experience and background, and a part of you... Is so used to giving back that you know I would have been like I would have been like when it loses mentees when she asked <laughs> me what were you going to charge well I don't know because you know it it felt it didn't always feel right asking for for something that that I was so used to giving back to my community does that make sense do you, do you understand it, what I'm trying to say yeah and, it
1: does it does Don, but I I think. At least in, in my f- mindset, there's a difference, right? So, so if I'm being asked by a, a nonprofit, community-based, BIPOC-led organization, my approach will be different than it is from a dominant, uh, well-resourced organization because we know philanthropy puts out numbers uh, all the time, and consistently speaking. Philanthropy has, has indicated nationally as well as locally the philanthropic dollars to BIPOC-led organizations is a fraction. We're talking single digits, right? Uh, percentage of what it is for dominant ones. And th- not only is is that difficult and, and outrageous to hear, but when you look at the annual reports for some of these larger dominant-led institutions led by dominant CEOs that are nonprofit, you start going through their annual reports and you see BIPOC folks all over, right? So they are the recipients of the charity, but yet there isn't an acknowledgement that when those organizations that are dominant led, dominant uh, focused in terms of their leadership um, and just their structure in terms of their board members, that, that they should also then, when they're bringing on a BIPOC speaker, that they, that should be uh, paid. I'll give you a, a quick example that's related. It's it's not with regard to a speaking engagement, but this will drive the point through. Uh, early on, when I was vice president um, of philanthropy over at uh, one of the local community foundations, and, and I'll, I'll just uh, refrain from just calling out organizations, um, I... One of my team members who had to do what's called a site visit with a really big organization, a nonprofit in the state, this this organization is very well resourced um, and now has a brand new building. I'll just say that. I mean, it's, it's a very well known organization in the state. And so my team member says, you know, she, she can't do this site visit. And for, for those of you who don't know what site visits are, it's when an organization, a nonprofit applies for a grant for a uh, at a foundation, the program officers, they're now called more than likely impact officers, strategic impact officers, just impact officers as a whole, uh, will go out and meet one-on-one with, with the folks, with the leader, as well as um, the board members, and, and, and just key individuals and stakeholders. Sometimes they have clients there. And the purpose of those site visits is to ask questions with regard to the grant, ask grant requests, ask questions with regard to their services, so on and so forth. It's not something that typically someone in, at my title at that time would do. Um, but one of my team members couldn't go. And I said, well, let's forget about rescheduling it because time is of the essence to get through this. Uh, I'll go for you. So I show up and, um, (laughs) you know, a beautiful building and I had looked at the materials in advance. I was familiar with the grant request. I uh, had picked up their um, annual report. I had printed it and had looked at it in detail in advance, did my homework. And I show up and no one on their board is BIPOC. Uh, Their leadership, their C-suite team, which would be the CEO, the chief financial officer, the chief development officer, uh, none of them are BIPOC. But yet you go through their annual report and everyone was every page had a black or brown face in that report as recipients of the funds. You know, so uh, we're sitting there talking through the grant and then I asked a question. I said, you know, I I can't help but to make this observation uh, of what your report report is and the disconnect with having no BIPOC at your leadership level or on your 15-member board. And the response was striking. The response was, well, we can't find anybody. (laughs) I said, excuse me? We can't find any (laughs) qualified board members. I said, you know... Um, and I said the year at that time, and again, I'm going to be cautious. And I said, it's 2000 blank, you know, so I'm, we're not talking, you know, the 1980s or anything it's 2000 and some, um, you're telling me that you cannot find one single BIPOC professional or individual to sit on your board of 15 people. Is that what you're asking me to believe? And they said, yes. I said, okay. I said, um, Then I I said, you know, tell me how that aligns with your race equity movement that you have here in your proposal. Tell me how that aligns with what I see on these different pages. So I went through a whole host of questions with them. Suffice it to say that they were not responsive. And at the end of the the day before I left, which is also very unusual, I said to them, uh, look, we have set out some really clear guidelines and what you have just shared with me and what I see with my own two eyes and I hear with my ears, you are not eligible until you change this. And they were shocked. They were absolutely shocked. We've always gotten funding. I said, well, that's a problem. That's a problem. Because you believe that you don't have to change. You believe that you can quote-unquote save all these brown and black bodies uh, in community who of course are in need of the services but yet you can't integrate that into your leadership structure either by way of your c-suite or by way of your board and i refuse to believe that in the year 2000 and x that you cannot find a qualified BIPOC member See that, um, it was, that it was it was it was real. <laughs> that to me yeah and that to
0: me is is part of what uh, is is what I want to want to put onto the table you know as we unpack the extraction there's the financial extraction when we have the imbalances of payment there's the energy extraction there's the expectation of access to your brilliance your expertise your your lived experience which has value to it um and at the same time you know to have to, to be able to go out and benefit from marketing, um, getting grants, getting you know all these things, putting all of these folks who you're supposed to be serving, but then not including or having them at, 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 in participation, as you just outlined beautifully, Luz, to me is also extractive. You are benefiting from... <laughs> The pictures, the diversity picture, you know, how many times have we been on the cover of a college's magazine? I'll never forget the time a good friend of mine um, for, um, I won't name the state, but a good friend of mine's family was out enjoying the natural resources of a state and that state's DNR took that picture and all of a sudden, their picture was on, on DNR promotions all across the state, as if there's only one black family. <laughs> in this case, it's a multiracial black family, right? In, 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 in the entire state that uses public spaces. There are many ways in which we see um, the picture is taken, the experience is taken. I'll never forget we were, we we got Ruby Bridges. I think Donna and, and I told you, but oh, go ahead,
1: Anthony. I'm sorry. Before you you move on, I, that's exactly why I, I I shared that example is that extraction. It's also misleading, and that's the part that that really is offensive to me. Is not only are you extracting by way of this, you are misrepresenting what is actually happening, right? So you are you are creating a narrative, a picture of something that is not accurate, and you're doing that um, at the expense of BIPOC communities. And that, to me, is really a deep concern. So I'm sorry for, for intro Go ahead and, and uh, yeah. Well,
2: I, I just wanted to add one other little aspect to that. And that's, and I'll, I'll try to make this quick, but as Lou was talking, you know, when when uh when Marge Anderson was last defeated and I was again put out to pasture, I was contemplating because I'm older in my life. I'm uh you know, I what am I gonna do now, right? My the dream job was always working for the tribe, but I ended up with with um I had kind of just completed the Shannon Institute at at um Wilder Foundation. I was uh being contemplated for three where well, there were three different positions that that came about one of them i was headhunted for and it was vp for a for a a, a non-profit kind of for-profit group that's kind of well known here in the twin cities that that um does a lot around housing right housing some other kind of things but they they had this big project going on in Milwaukee, and they were looking for a VP to kind of oversee this housing, so you know, with supportive services, yada yada yada. Sound like a great opportunity, and I, like Luz, did my homework, and I looked at the structure of this organization, and I looked at their board, and it was the exact same makeup that Lou's just described of this organization she was with. So while I was being recruited, you know, at, at to to for this position, Lou's, I asked those questions, having especially having been at the state and gone through that experience of being isolated in terms of one of the few people of color that had a a powerful position within the state and how isolating that is and how hard it is to try to move a needle. So I brought those disparities up during the interview as I was being recruited by this headhunter and they were planning on moving me along. But I asked I said, you know, I don't see people of color on a board. I don't see people of color elsewhere in, 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 in the upper management of this organization. And yet all the work they do is in communities of color, especially the black community. And I was asked, and I was <coughs> asking them, how will they assure me that once I get in there, that I will be supportive? supported by this entity because they're asking you to come in and do this wide sweeping work. And I asked them, how would I be supportive and not isolated in a situation like that? (laughs) Two weeks later, I heard back from them and they told me that they decided to go in another direction. They needed somebody that had more experience with child care. Can you believe that? So, even when we see that and we point it out, it then we become excluded. You're listening to
0: Counter Stories with co-hosts Anthony Galloway, Don Eubanks, and Luz Maria Frias. Counter Stories is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Can, so y'all are just, y'all are just, just making me go back and look at so many times. So, so let's, let's keep thinking about this, this extractive piece, right? Because in that situation, Don, you talk about being invited. I can think of how many times I've been invited to be a part of groups or how many times, even in my schooling where I was assigned to a classroom, right, Um, as it, it, uh, it, instead of being assigned with, other folks of color in this predominantly white institution, you end up being, you know, ending up in classrooms where you are the diversity for that classroom. And so then you are called upon for all the issues of 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 diversity. You are you are are, are called upon for all of your examples and experiences. You are 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 having to do all of this work for other folks' benefit because the whole school benefits from folks giving walk away. So I I would even see on the evaluations leaving out, they felt like there were many diverse perspectives that were coming into this class. And you realize that you just made this classroom experience for a whole semester for a whole bunch of your white peers. But but you're the one still struggling to pay the bills. You're the one trying to figure out how to pay for the dang class. And and there's no even conversation about compensating you for how you may have enriched the class, let alone the fact that you have also had to be exposed to all of the folks who've never experienced you, your body, your 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 experience, who, who you've had to go toe-to-toe just to prove your own experience. I mean, I remember leaving... Classrooms at the even at at the the my for my MDiv my Masters of Divination space, uh, I remember leaving classrooms being fully drained and going, "Why am I so tired?" This was a class I was excited about, and then I realized that I had just spent the last hour and a half or two hours and sometimes three hours in the classroom, being the explainer in chief for experiences that weren't white, middle class, announced outst- in, in rural Minnesota, so so there were. There are many times where the extractions go beyond the money, go beyond the positions, go beyond uh, the lying, to your point, Luz. I mean, there are folks who are just flat out, you know, misrepresenting to say they've got all the diversity, but all the diversity happens on the front line and that's it uh, of some of our organizations. I mean, even beyond all of that, there's the day-to-day personal extractions. where well, thank where... you for
1: naming that. <laughs> Th- thank go you ahead. for naming that because that's exactly right. I mean, that emotional toll... I want folks to to put themselves in the shoes that you just described, Anthony, and that we've all lived as as BIPOC, being the only one in that room at that time. You're the only Black man in that room at that time, surrounded by a sea of whiteness, right? Uh, and that all eyes are on you, and they are extracting from you lived experiences that are not pleasant. I mean, you're not talking about, you know, having a howdy doody kind of day and being all happy about it. In large part, these lived experiences are moments of trauma of some sort that we've all engaged in. And so you are being triggered as you recount that. You're the only one. So you are on display of some sort um, and that folks then are asking questions of you to further deepen um "Quote unquote," their understanding, but at the same time, further deepening your hurt and your injury and the pain that you're feeling at that time. And this is on a daily basis. I mean, there are times where I'm in meetings, uh, and you know, the state and workforce uh, across across the ent- the enterprise of all the state departments that we deal with on the daily basis and the agencies is still very non-diverse. So I find myself being the only a lot. Uh, (laughs) And there are times where I just I'm spent, you know, I want to say more, but I am spent um, having to just constantly be the only and being the only with a different opinion as well, because it's based on my lived experiences and being the offer up. I, I just had one very recently in the last week where There was a conversation about uh, someone being, you know, part of a conversation and um, a comment was made about, well, he talked too much about DEI. There was too much conversation about DEI. And I'm sitting here like, well, he said during his conversation that as a black man, dot, dot, dot. So he is sharing his lived experiences (laughs) with you. And if you feel uncomfortable with that, that's on you. That's not on him. Um, and the fact that someone would say there was too much conversation about DI, how does that even, in my world, what, what does that even look like, right? I mean, <laughs> and who gets to call that? Who gets to say, what what is the barometer? Like where, you know, what is the measurement stick <laughs> or the measurement tool to say this amount, this percentage of DI is acceptable today, but not on another day. And mind you, We are in a state of Minnesota where I would venture to guess most people around the country and the world knew very little about Minnesota until we became (laughs) this this known area for killing black and brown bodies. You know, it started with Jamar Clark in 2015 and has culminated more recently with Amir Locke and, and certainly before him. George Floyd, Dante Wright, the list goes on, but how do we have too much DEI in a state that has (laughs) these problems, is my question.
0: So so, Luz, you 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 <laughs> you went there. Oh my goodness! And I know you have to leave. You have to have to have to leave us suited. Uh, and and we thank you so much for helping to get us down this path. But you teed up something that we're going to come back and speak to after we take a, a, a short break to give our sponsors. But but uh, I I have to point out this 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 notion of um, a piece of extraction is having our, your white peers and friends leave things in your lap for you to have to walk away and sit with and they get to walk away, oh, I got that off of my chest, you know, um, or, or make it your responsibility, right? Because what you just described sounds like somebody doing that judo flip and that matrix dive and to make it the responsibility of the folks bringing up the stuff that we were already talking about. That's like when I get invited to go talk about racial consciousness, right? Folks want to go deeper and understand and deepen their understanding of race and then come up somewhere along the time with a comment like, why are we spending so much time talking about race? That's the title that you just invited (laughs) me to come and speak about. (laughs) At least in that expense experience, I'm getting paid, but there's still an emotional extraction where folks are trying to get you to do their work, right? Or I'll even offer this one, the well-intentioned extraction, okay? The well-intentioned extraction in my experience happens like this. A, a, a white peer friend of mine has an experience that was deeply racially traumatizing, traumatic, just unacceptable. And then they come to me and they say, Anthony, I just experienced this thing, and they get all their feelings off their chest, all this stuff. And I go, yeah, yep, that sounds like Tuesday. Um, I hear you, you know, I'm trying to be there, all the stuff. And then they, they want to throw all this weight, and then, and then this question comes, you know, um, what has that experience been like for you to the point that you raise loose about the fact that this is often traumatic when we recount? <laughs> now I have to, now the expectation is, as part of our friendship and rapport, I have to now you're teeing me up to recount all of this trauma so that you can you can share with that. And then the next thing I hear is you have gone to talk to somebody else and somebody else comes to me and says, so-and-so told me about your experience and, and how powerful it was to hear your story and how it changed other lives and stuff like that. And I'm going, so I ended up having to mess up my sleep, mess up my appetite, recount all these different things. And I'm glad you feel better but now I feel like, crap, I was going to say something else, yeah. but you know, I only get four curses a day as a pastor. And so, <laughs> like, <laughs> and then, and then it's, it's now launched you into this whole space, and I'm over here holding the weight of all the things I just recounted. And you haven't even thought once about what it might have been. to, to, to that's, that's like going up to somebody who has experienced some acute abuse and say, tell me all about your experience. Like, you just don't do that. But we walk to people of color all the time and want them to recount not the themes I'm fine with recounting themes but we want you to recount the gritty details over and over again just so it can remind me of proof and then I go back to family members who don't like it and I come back to you and try to extract more of that juice so I can have proof to bludgeon my my more racist family members like this is a recent it, experience
1: and the more the more juice and salacious that recounting is the, the better they feel you know, feel about it. Right. It's like, Oh, and it was just, you know, and I've heard it, you know, and I have to have, you know, stop folks. And sometimes I have to, I just have to say to folks, look, I, I am um, I'm not in this space right now. And um, you know, I, I need to just check out and I do that out of self care, but I also do that to some degree that hoping that at some point they're going to figure out this, you know, they need to check themselves because this is, and I know that's asking for a lot. <laughs> but uh, you know, at, at some point, you know, folks just have to realize that um, this is this is more injurious to to us than what they have given thought to. Um, and your example about domestic violence and having someone, a survivor, recount it, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, the best practice in the domestic violence. Uh, advocacy space I used to be in that uh, uh, some years back is that you do everything you can to minimize the amount of times that that survivor tells their story whether it's an Mm -hmm. adult survivor or a survivor of um, uh, child abuse um, is that you minimize the amount of times they say that's that story so they the model is a holistic model that you get as many of the providers in one room, you know, the prosecutor, mm-hmm. the social worker, folks helping with housing, um, food insecurity, things of that sort. So that that story is recounted one time um, so that that injury doesn't continue to perpetuate and doesn't re-trigger the person and re-traumatize, re-traumatize that person in the process.
0: And I, I got to tell you, to your point, Luz, I feel so much better, right? Uh, when, if I am going to recount those details, right? Often it'll come in re- in relationship where it's not the first time. Like if you can come to my house and make yourself a sandwich, that level of converse of relationship is what I'm talking about, not passive uh, collegial acquaintance. And and in those spaces, I don't feel like the same extraction. And in addition. I feel like in some of those spaces there's an actual there's 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 an appreciation of what a person has to like if 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 an organization if a group is showing some intentionality around the appreciation of what it takes to do that um then it's a that is a different experience, right? I don't have the same feeling of extraction because there's some intentionality on the other end. And I'm not saying never to have a conversation with your friends of color for our white peers that are listening to this. I'm just asking for there to be some consideration that the exchange may be extractive if we don't shift how we approach that to the point that you just gave, where we try to get as many folks in the room. There's some intentionality, even for the juvenile side of of taking the uh, forensic interview and using that as the evidence is long as you can to protect the person who has to re-experience that over and over again. I think that level of intentionality is the ask, whether it's financial, whether it's in terms of a previous arrangement, or if I know, you know, I've had folks come to me and say, look, that story that you tell about this part of your life, it moves folks. What will it take to get you to do that? That gives me the agency to be able to say, I ain't going to do it. Or um, I'll do it and this is what needs to be in place for that to happen. Or here's a link. Go watch this video. I ain't in it. But that puts the agency in my hands as opposed to this expectation or assumption that I have to perform and give for your benefit.
2: So Anthony, let me let me hop in here. So you know, <clears throat> like we're just still talking. So you know, the you know, the this extraction thing, I I, I think I have another example of that. And and you mentioned music, often it's, it's personal trauma, but this is, this is something similar, but on a much larger scale on social media. And so, you know, recently, of course, you know, the United States um, experienced some um, Supreme Court um, decisions, right? In the past couple of weeks that have been pretty heavy for this country, depending on your your perspective, and from my perspective, it, these have been very heavy decisions. One of them was was Roe versus Wade, right? Uh, they have abolished, they've done away with abortion. Now, but I'm not getting into the discussion of Roe v. Wade. It's some of the responses I've seen on social media, and one in particular that I've seen in the past week or so since that since that decision came out, um, was um, women were posting on their social media um, pages this meme that was stating that all women and girls during the national anthem should take a knee. And at first, when I first saw that, I thought, wow, what a powerful message. And then I had to kind of step back a little. And I said, well, wait a minute. <laughs> well, wait, 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 where were you when Colin Kaepernick did that, right? Where were you when he did that as his way of protesting police brutality against black bodies in our communities, black and brown bodies, where he was making uh, a statement, a powerful statement in one of the most peaceful ways you can, nonviolent, by taking a knee during the national anthem. And he was vilified. He lost his job. Um, The NFL blackballed him and, You didn't hear anything from this particular population who now wants to do and use that same form, right, to protest. And it just hit me the wrong way because where were they when Colin and the rest of us needed that type of support? And so that, to me, is like an extraction of – of a cultural aspect that came out of our community, right? Even though it was started by one individual, it was still part of our community. And I was wondering, you know, how well, do we dissect you know, that?
0: There's a there has always been throughout history a borrowing and sharing of the tactics of of protest and tactics of 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 resistance, and and so. I could think of similar examples short, you know shortly after the panther shortly after what happened you know um during the civil rights movement with the southern christian leadership conference with what happened in the suffrage movement and so i i think there is a part of me that feels um vindicated a little bit right? At the same time, right? Cause we can walk and chew gum at the same time. A lot of our stuff doesn't happen in a binary. So I feel the tension simultaneously of what you brought up in the first part of that is where were you when <laughs> I think that's a very important and valid question to ask, right? If you weren't, if you weren't acknowledging, um, and, and saying the same thing about, about Colin on one end, um, as you are now wanting to use the same, same tactic, um, what I also have seen, though, is a lot of the folks that I've seen putting that forward have been folks who have historically been aligned um, and support. Maybe not... not- outwardly maybe not you know marching and supporting and backing them like they should have but folks who I generally would would didn't hear at least on my socials and on my engagements and in the groups that I work with and the talks that I have both in, in clergy and professional circles um a lot of the folks who have been putting forward this idea of taking of women taking the knee are also the folks who were like who who would at least tacitly and linguistically be in support. So there are these tensions that are pulling at me in this regard, in addition to the the honoring of, of a tactic that is real and that works. I mean, folks, folks, you know, uh, a handful of folks here blocked a freeway. And then that became an option for folks all around um, to say, if you don't want to take us seriously, we will shut the the we will shut the the freeways the highway down if you don't want to listen and that be, became a practice that was used elsewhere as well. So there's some of those things that come where, up for me when I think it about used that.
2: Elsewhere, where was that particular oh, tactic used elsewhere? Oh,
0: there there were there were protests that shut down highways in many other, in, in many other states uh, that happened in Seattle and and then in some we don't think about the but, fact and
2: support, that support but in support of Black Lives Matter, correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, but not outside that arena. So, I mean, oh, and I'm not disagree. Good point, good point. That's a really that's, good point. That's where I was getting yeah. at, okay? So, yeah, that in that in that environment. And, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, right? I think that there may be individuals who may have, in their hearts, supported Colin Kaepernick, but we didn't see it, right? I mean, so visually, we never saw that. I never saw a white person in the stadium, take a knee. Right. So, so I guess, you know, and, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying because I had that ambivalent feeling. Cause I told you at first when I, I, I saw this meme and I'm thinking, Oh, what a great idea. But it just hit me a little wrong because where was that support? So, you know, but not just that, cause I'm what you're saying. So how do when we look at this, you know, I think the other the other extraction that we see is is these large corporations, right, who are who are who are um, profiting on our holidays oh. now, right? <laughs> I mean, Juneteenth. I know we mentioned this a little bit, you know, but but Juneteenth. Um, now I have to mention, I, I don't. I haven't seen one for Native Americans yet nope. other than Halloween, <laughs> right? But, you know, I, I, but some of my gay friends, gay, lesbian friends, I, I heard them talking about this too, in terms of, you know, because it, it was pride week. Right. And, 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 um, and of course, you know, folks were, you know, large corporations were putting out, you know, rainbow t-shirt and, you know, and, 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 and the whole nine yards and, and, um, and they, and, and they, uh, you know, they profit on this. Now, do we give them the same litmus test? I mean, you know, some of those corporations have come out and put some money behind their, you know, their rhetoric, right? I mean, they have been trying to be more of a corporate res- or show more of a corporate responsibility. For social and racial justice type issues, and then I mean, so do they get to walk then when they? I mean, I, you know, I, you, I, I, I think <laughs> you, you you thank you
0: for taking us
2: there. Thank you for taking us because we have to start getting saying. into
0: articulating how how these interactions cannot be can can be unextractive, right? And I think you what you are raising here helps get us to that point. Even with the taking of the knee, right? If if there is no acknowledgement of Colin's bold statement, Colin Kaepernick's bold statement that even makes a way for you to have this tactic, then that to me is another example of extraction. However, I could totally be cool with somebody going, hey, we didn't go hard the paint when Colin did this. We want to bring in that attention, that experience, and name that as we utilize that that tactic to move forward for this issue that's now binding us together. That to me handles at least a portion, if not all, of the extractiveness. Because again, to the loser's point earlier, there's an intentionality with how you're getting that. And I would say the same for corporations. I hate to bring this up, but in the 90s, <laughs> in the 90s, um, there were uh, there were some, some very important things that happened, especially after Rodney King that had McDonald's. Remember those McDonald ads that came in there? And they were like, a proceeds from, from this percentage or whatever supports the United Negro College Fund. So at least in that, there was a gesture that, that said, okay, it's a, paltry, it's a paltry amount of money in the grand scheme of our total, total profits, but there's something that's at least moving in that vein. I would offer, as we, as we you know, get ready to close and we start talking about ways in which we have experienced things that weren't extractive, in particular with our dominant cultural peers, it's that gesture. The moments where folks have, have have one, had the intentionality to either to either try or seek my experience of a situation before, you know, in, in the process of a thing helps to av- avoid or eliminate the extractive space because it gives me the ability to one, say no, two, call out that this is leading towards a place where it feels extractive for me, um, or this, or this call or expectation of performance on my part as a person of color for your consciousness. Like there is, that's one piece of it. The, the other piece that comes to mind as you is the questions that you raise in there is compensation, right? If you are having a person of color, give of their expertise, time, and your life experience is expertise and time. Um, don't invite your coworker of color to the meeting just because you want to broach a diversity issue that you ain't going to pay them for because their job description is something completely different. You know how many times a uh, secretary, a uh, 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 a frontline worker, uh, I've even seen a point where somebody who was doing landscaping in the front was pulled into a conversation for the organizational DEI work <laughs> 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 just because there was nobody else around and there was no compensation or consideration for time, right? Or expertise or any of that. And so, you know, I, I, I raised the question, if you think about how you interact with folks of color, you know, what are the, for you, Don, what have been the times where you have felt that that interaction has not been extractive or what was done to make the interaction not be extractive?
2: You, when, well, it's different when we're in our community, right? And, and I think that that, you know, that's where I was, where I started talking early on in terms of, of you know, because so many of our oh, cultural mores are a collectivist. And so, you know, there's this expectation that we, you know, we work together. And so being extractive in my own community is a non-issue, right. For me in that regard, but you know, it, it, it generally is that it, it generally happens when it's coming from a request from the dominant culture and or I think where it happens to a lot of us like Lou's brought up and you also brought up, um, Anthony, was um, I think it happens in educational settings most often. And I think that's the one where you, me, lose every, every BIPOC individual, Black, Native, Latino, it doesn't matter, when you find yourself in educational um, situations, the higher you go, the more isolated you become and the more demands on you sharing your experiences to the rest of your colleagues happens. And and um, so, you know, often we have to make that choice of getting educated and not being the educator. Right. And that takes a that takes a toll on us. And, and, you know, so whether we're being asked to do it or we make the decision not to do it, either way, it takes a, it takes a little toll from us. But uh, right, are you called non-participatory?
0: Are you called, you know, standoffish for not wanting to be in a space that, you know, is going to drain you? It,
2: exactly. Yeah. And so then we're seen as like you just described. So it's like, you know, we no matter which way we decide to go. Um, there's a negative impact, <laughs> right? Yeah. Either on us physically or emotionally, I, both, you know, there, there, it, there could be a negative impact in there for us. So so, so, like, let's take Juneteenth, for example, you've got folks who sold
0: Juneteenth merchandise now that it's a national holiday and everybody's acting like they've known about it forever and a day or, or you know, and all that stuff when communities have, you know, even though many of us didn't know about it, it's been in the practice, it's been in community forever and a day. But what are you doing to support the black businesses who who create those things? What are you doing to support the communities from which that holiday you know comes from? And now you're going to take the money and leave it there, just like Pat Boone took the money, took the took the music, took the hood stuff, and didn't pay the artists, just like Elvis, you know, sang a hound dog, but Big Mama Thornton did it first. You know, all these other folks, you know, from from the styles to the culture and all these things, you know, ask the question: In what ways do we compensate? or take into account what people of color have done to build your very opportunity to do that. Um, you know, let alone the fact that all of us are on land that was extracted from the original peoples who were here in in many different ways. The ultimate extraction. Extracted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so, so hopefully this it, you've heard some examples throughout today of some ways in which you know we have experienced this type of extraction it's a nuanced conversation that goes much deeper and i'm hoping that it doesn't turn folks away from reaching out or having interactions with folks of color what i what i want what we want to stress though is that very question have you considered what it costs a person of color to be a part of whatever this exchange is And if you've asked that question and you've sought answers from that particular community, you're probably going to be in a space that's not extractive, at least not in the way that it could have been before you had that level of consciousness. This has been Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota.
1: I'm Luz Maria Frias, deputy attorney general with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer.
2: And I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendro's group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians.
0: This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories Crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.